right, y'all, welcome to uh, the Good News Cast, part two of this series on uh, wokeness and the social justice movement and all things race, racism, racial reconciliation in America. You just have me today. If you're just tuning in and you did not listen to part one, I would uh, stop this, listen to part one first, because this is very much a continuation of part one. Try to keep these podcasts around 30 minutes or so. Uh, rather than doing like a three-hour-long uh, podcast. So listen to part one if you haven't. If you listen to part one, um, this is I, I'm picking up where we left off. Uh, this is a continuation of, of everything we talked about in part one. And to summarize in part one, um, I, am, I am talking about, I'm answering one main question. What is the big idea of wokeness? What's the big idea of the modern social, social justice message regarding race, racism, racial reconciliation, the racialization of America today. What is the big idea? What are we actually talking about? Whether you agree or disagree, I, I'm, I'm not trying to, to talk about that right now. I'm not trying to respond to these things. I'm just saying, what is the big idea? What are the main tenets? What are the main ideas? What is the message about race and racism in America? I'm pulling mainly from uh, three of the main leading voices and books, um, uh, Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby, White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo, How to Be an Anti- Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi. Some of these people are professing, professing Christians. Some I, I do not think are. Um, all of them seem to be uh, being promoted. I've seen them promoted by pastors to their churches. Um, so uh, this, all this stuff matters for Christians to figure out, is it great stuff that we should be... Um, um, buying into using is it not at all good great stuff? Is there some good? Is there some bad? This this matters if you whether you're Christian or not. You know this is this is such a huge national uh, conversation, and really um, the the world uh, knows about uh, this massive massive topic uh, of conversation in America. So uh, picking up picking up where we left off. Basically, what we said in episode one was that the big idea of wokeness is that. Uh, America's foundation and driving shaping forces of even today's life are racist, is racist. Particularly, um, white supremacy is in the foundation and daily movements of American society. Um, Essentially, everything is racial. Essentially, uh, everything then is racist in some form or fashion. Um, It is all around the reason you even now maybe go, wait, that sounds crazy. I mean, yes, I can see that in America's history to be sure. Uh, but now today, the reason you think that way is because um, the big idea is that it's invisible. It's so deeply woven and baked into our society that it is invisible. It is especially invisible to the typical average white person um, who has not ever been a victim of racism um, uh, but just kind of wakes up and goes about their normal daily life. They are perpetuators of it by compromising with it, uh, even unknowingly, because it's invisible to them. So it's everywhere. It's invisible. Really, the only way you can know about it is if you're either a victim of it or you have been trained in to. You've been trained to see it. You've been trained in critical methods like critical race theory. Uh, you've been trained by someone like Robin DiAngelo to see it all, to be awakened to it, to to be woke to it. Okay. Um, now, right where we left off, you probably started to get the idea that this is a worldview. This is not just one piece of information to plug into your worldview. This is a new way of viewing everything, 
at least in America. It is a worldview that interprets and reinterprets everything. Interprets, reinterprets all of history um, in America's history. It, it interprets and reinterprets everything going on right now. This is a worldview. It's a way of filtering all experience, all discourse, all events, past and present. And then, of course, it shapes what we are looking for in the future. This worldview is always looking for, this woke worldview um, is always looking for and finding ways in which oppressors are oppressing, particularly the way white supremacy is oppressing black people, particularly black people. Brown people can be included in that, but, but I, I find hardly. Okay, this is particularly talking about talking about white supremacy oppressing uh, black people. Uh, I mentioned the book Cynical Theories. It's a phenomenal book that, that goes through a lot of the main popular academic theories uh, and then shows how the social justice movement today, wokeness today, pulls from all the different theories. Right, You've probably heard of critical race theory, but it pulls from all the different theories uh, to create its own worldview. Uh James Lindsay is one of the authors. Also, Helen Pluckrose um, uh, wrote Cynical Theories. James, in, in a lecture, I don't know where I saw this. I don't even think I listened to the full lecture, but I, I somehow saw this illustration he used. He provides a helpful illustration to see how this worldview works on the ground, how this works out in daily life. And he says, imagine you work at a convenience store. And I might be changing some of the details unknowingly here, but essentially paraphrasing this, imagine you work at a convenience store, a store of some sort. And you're to greet everyone who comes in, right? Welcome everyone who comes in. And a black person and a white person enter in at the same time. And you're faced with who to offer help to first. Who do you greet and offer help to first? Who do you choose? If you choose the black man, this worldview is going to ask, why do you think the black man is a threat? Why do you need to watch him so closely? Why are you paying so much attention to him? You don't see the white person as a threat, so you're addressing the black person first. That's how this worldview interprets that choice. What if you choose the white man? What if you choose the white man? You look at him square in the eye. You say, hey, how are you? Welcome. Can I help you with anything? This worldview is going to say, why do you favor and privilege the white person over the black person? In other words, James Lindsay is drawing out this illustration that this worldview offers no option in which race, racial tensions, racism... Uh, are not active and present in shaping events, discourses, activities, laws, institutions, structures, uh, policies, powers. Okay, This worldview assumes racism is everywhere and then brings that assumption to light, that reality to light by way of you know some kind of uh, some kind of accusation. Okay, It's just assumed. So Lindsay's book Cynical Theories, uh, the name comes from, the, the idea, the reality that this worldview interprets, quote, all our human soci- sociological interactions in the most cynical way possible, in the most cynical way possible. Everything is racial. Everything is somehow tied to racism. Um, so this worldview is taking everything, interpreting, reinterpreting everything in, in an incredibly cynical way. Now, a lot of this is undergirded, like I said, by varying uh, theories, Okay, gender theory, all sorts of different theories, but especially it's undergirded, supported, shaped by um, what you've probably heard of by now, critical race theory and intersectionality. Um, now, 
they the irony with critical race theory and intersectionality that they draw out in their book cynical theories is they say it quote puts social significance back into racial categories so race what what all of us seem to agree on whether you would consider yourself woke or not um is that that race is this this thing we made up it's this thing we made up there's one race the human race but we have made up this this idea of racial categories there's black people brown people white people um, this is something denounced by by wokeness, by the social justice movement. That these are these are made up categories um, that have been used to justify racism. Um, now the irony is, you would think, well, then let's get rid of them. We should get rid of them. Um, but the but but what's ironic is that that critical race theory, intersectionality, wokeness actually is putting significance back into them. Wants to maintain these uh, racial categories for the purpose of of bringing healing and restoration, which which we'll probably talk about that more later, but that's but that's kind of the the big idea with CRT is that it's it's putting significance back into racial categories. It's it's interpreting all of life in in it through a racial uh, lens. Okay, so they say in cynical theories quote that uh, that critical race theory intersectionality is quote geared toward identifying and exposing problems in order to facilitate revolutionary political change if you remember from episode one a lot of this is dealing with political realities uh political systems structures laws policies um and so uh in cynical theories they say crt intersection and intersectionality is geared towards identifying and exposing those problems in order to bring about revolutionary political change they go on in their book to say, quote, CRT and intersectionality does the same thing over and over again. It looks for the power imbalances, bigotry, and biases that it assumes must be present. It reduces everything to one single variable, one single topic of conversation, one single focus and interpretation, prejudice. And they go on to say that prejudice is understood under the power dynamics asserted by theory, capital T theory. Thus, they continue, for example, disparate outcomes can have one and only one explanation and it is prejudicial bigotry. Here's the big idea of that quote. What they're saying is that ultimately, and this is and this is why you've you've probably experienced this, that that it seems to be like there's one and only one sin left in America. And it is it is racial bigotry. It's racism. Uh, everything seems to be reduced to this one single variable, they say. One single topic, one single focus, one single interpretation. Now, remember, racism is about structural political power. And so the way to change it all is political change, political revolution of sorts. Now, they say in cynical theory, something that's, that's they, they say in a funny way, they say, quotes um, that... That uh, that essentially wokeness is is uh, quote centrally concerned with ending ending racism through the unlikely means of making everyone more aware of race at all times and places. You've probably experienced that. You've probably experienced that in the last ten years. I talk about how I've been paying attention to this this whole topic, this whole conversation for the past decade. And one thing is to be sure that everyone is far more aware of race at all times and places. But this is on purpose, and 
and again, it seems ironic that it's actually for the purpose of ending racism, not perpetuating it. Now, at this point, it would probably be helpful to highlight some examples of racism because you might be thinking, okay, a lot of this sounds vague, and, and it is vague right now. It is very vague to talk about what, what institutions, what structures, what laws, what policies, what does this actually look like? What are the actual examples of racism that these leading voices uh, uh, point out? Um, so let me give you some examples. Uh, Robin D'Angelo in her book, White Fragility, gives tons of examples of things that she considers uh, racist, that she interprets as uh, racist. She considers it racist to think of one neighborhood as safe and another as crime-ridden. Um, so, so in other words, if you are a real estate agent and someone says, hey, I would like to move into a safe neighborhood, D'Angelo says that's really code for I would like to move into a white neighborhood. D'Angelo is the one saying that when people say safe, they're talking about white people. And when they say crime ridden, they're talking about black people. She says that. Uh, she interprets a label like crime ridden as code for predominantly black. She just, she just says that. Okay. So um, that just is to her. She just assumes that safe means white. She assumes that. Um, she says a white person in her book interviewing a person of color is treating them as a token. You've probably seen this how... On the one hand, uh, we want to be diversity is um, valued, but then on the other hand, when someone makes an attempt to be diverse, um, it, it's it's tokenism. Sometimes there seems to be no win, and that's that's I mean that's an example from her uh, book, I believe, page fifty four. She talks about a white person interviewing a person of color, and that's treating them as a token. Uh, she says a white person interrupting a black person. I think she uses a story of this happening in one of her seminars um, is an act of racism. Uh, not just bad manners. Like when a white person interrupts a black person in her seminar, it's not just, oh, they have bad manners. No, it's actually racism. Um, it's actually racism. Uh, she says moving up financial classes is desirable, not because of financial stability, but to be in, quote, wider spaces. So if someone wants to move up financial classes, they want to they, they have a higher income, a better house, a better car, whatever it might be, it's not really because they just want financial stability, though that could be a part of it. It's actually because they want to be in, quote, wider spaces, whiter spaces. Um, saying a school has generally, quote, low test scores is, quote, code for not white. Again, if you're looking for a house and you tell your real estate agent, hey, we want to be in a school district with, with the best test scores, with the best rating. She would say what you're really saying is you want to be in a white uh, school zone, a predominantly white school zone. Again, she makes that assumption, okay? She makes that assumption that that's what people are really saying. That's what they're really saying when they say low test scores. They're not just simply saying, I want to be in a, a better school district because homes in better school districts sell for, are more valuable. They're not saying, I want to be in a, a school district with higher test scores because I want to be in a school district with better education. What they're actually really just saying, she assumes, is that they want to be in a predominantly white school district uh, or school. Um, she says looking for, quote, better schools. So if you say, I want to I look for a house in a, in a zone with better schools, she says it's really looking for a, quote, wider school, whiter school, not wider, whiter um, helping a, uh, a white person, helping a non-white person express something is deemed racist. She tells a story in one of her seminars 
that I think a black person was having a hard time express something and a white person chimed in and I think, you know, said something to the effect like, hey, I think what you're trying to say is blank. She says that white person was actually being racist uh, in doing that. Um, A white person, she says, receiving a promotion before a person of color is racist. It's page 133 to 134. Um, Claiming to not be racist is racist. That is central to Robin DiAngelo. That's something Ibram Kendi claims in his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Ibram says the Constitution is racist. The American Constitution is racist. He talks about climate change, uh, I believe, being due to racism. That's page 21 of his book, uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist. So climate change has something to do with racism. Uh, Voter ID laws. This is a big one in the news that that you've probably heard and, and, and seen that the the requirement to present an ID to vote is racist. Somehow requiring an ID for many other things is not racist, but, but in order to vote, uh, it is racist. Again, there's no, there's no rhyme and reason uh, provided for most, if not all of those examples I just shared. It's just, it's just, it just is what it is. A voter ID law is racist. But to present my ID to buy a plane ticket or to board an airplane for some reason is not racist. But in or, but if I'm required to do it to vote, it is racist. I don't necessarily, personally speaking, I don't necessarily know the rhyme and reason why. It just is what it is. Because in these books, again and again and again, evidence is hardly ever provided. Sometimes explicitly said in episode one, I said that Jamar Tisby, um, Robin DiAngelo and White Fragility, they, they explicitly say, I'm not going to provide smoking gun evidence. I'm not going to prove the, that the, the racism is there. I'm assuming that. It just is there. And I can't really prove it, maybe they would say, because a lot of times it's, it's invisible. Um, so compare that. I think it's helpful to compare uh, these two realities. The racism, the vile, evil, horrific racism uh, in America's history is undeniable, not debatable, undeniable, obvious, brazen. You can point to it, you can identify it, you can see it. But the racism of today that, again, is sometimes said to be just as bad or even worse is more often than not extremely obscure vague, nebulous, highly debatable, highly debatable, um, if not entirely baseless and unsupported by, by all evidence and all reason. Um, that is how this conversation goes. Again, those examples I just listed, um, I, I wrote this months and months ago. Um, I was just listing examples. I mean, I, I didn't go through the book and go, I'm going to pick their worst examples. I just was listing a lot of the examples given, and that's that's just that that is just a handful of the many examples uh, that are given, uh, oftentimes without uh, without evidence. Again, the very claim to not be a racist is said to be evidence and proof of racism itself. Okay, um, that's just how this whole uh, how this whole conversation and argument unfolds, and and perhaps. That is the best way to see um, whether you agree with all this or not, how circular the reasoning becomes. Because the core, the core argument for the truth of all these things revolves around a massive assumption. So the argument goes like this. 
Premise one, uh, essentially everything is racist, including you, you know, white person. It's typically about just your typical white person. Everything is racist. Premise one. Premise number two is if you, if you say, if you disagree, if you disagree, you say, I'm not racist, um, then you prove premise one. That, that's how the argument goes. So premise one, everything is racist, or you are racist. Premise number two, if you disagree with that, you prove that premise number one is, is correct, is true. Um, which is why claiming to not be a racist is itself proof of your racism, and really of, of this whole invisible system of racism driving and shaping all of America. All right, let's cut it off there. Next week, next episode, we're going to talk about, um, n- I say next week, who knows when, w- when the next one will drop. It could be earlier. Uh, we're going we're gonna to try to drill down into uh, uh, the whole concept of structures, laws, policies, ways of life, all that kind of stuff. What are we actually saying? What is wokeness actually saying when they say that that uh, America is built on and driven by racist systems, structures, laws, policies, ways of life? We will tackle that on our next episode.